The logic of the Eightfold Path is uh, how one uh, uh, factor supports another and how one flows into another to a right view, understanding skillful, unskillful, understanding uh, nature of cause and effect, there are cause and effects, making a decisive turning, Recognizing one as an inheritance, mother, father, sentient beings, wanting some kind of web of conditionality, and cultivating right attitude where you're coming from, non-violence, non-brutality, non-discord, avoidance of harshness, insensitivity, relinquishment, non-fascination with sense data. Yeah, I mean, you know, these are often put in cryptic terms, but or classical terms. You know, it's important to get a feeling for what these are talking about and recognizing you know, this is something you, you sustain. You bear it in mind. You're mindful. It means you sustain this template. So everything you're looking at, oh yeah, whether it's internal, external, whether it's the way you handle your spittoons or you know is it dismissive insensitive crashing around or is it careful because it doesn't really matter what the object is because this is subject training not object training you know it means you're training the heart training awareness to respond to send out energies that are not abusive disrespectful insensitive clinging, grasping, to sense data. And so, you know, then you make an effort with that. Realising, yeah, the mind does swerve, does go off track, so you make an effort to keep (laughs) establishing it. And so this is really what right effort's about. Then when your view is straight, then when you've made that effort to get your view straight, to sustain that template, then you develop sati, mindfulness with regard to, you know, body experience, the embodied experience with its feelings, the chitta, sensitivities that arise within that, and the skillful, unskillful dhammas. If you sustain that, what occurs is a consolidation of chitta. It's no longer straggling this way, that way, Jagged, racing, slumping, it's steady. And its energies consolidate. And that's called samadhi. Consolidated energy. Firm. Now, bear in mind, I've said it before, I'll say it again, this is not concentration on some object. This is a state of being collected. So it's not object concentration, it's subject concentration. You could say you're not concentrating on something, you are having a collected, gathered, steadied mind. Sometimes it says, you know, the object of concentration, but when it's said like that, it often means the object of concentration is relinquishment. In other words, it's an aim. Yeah, That is my intention, so that's my object, to learn how to relinquish. There's no concentrating on the breath, for example. There's mindfulness, and if you do that steadily enough, what happens 
it resists the hindrances, it collects and gathers around what's skillful, it nourishes and sustains the heart, heart's not running out, it collects, that's what happens. There's a process there, one segues into another. So this just really helps to understand, you know, so you know how to meditate, not getting too fixated on objects, because it's a different, you know, different set of protocols for cultivation of citta, cultivation of citta bhavana, samadhi bhavana, from operating in the sense world. Sense world, you want to you want to focus on something, you, you peer into it. You peer into the object, you move the object around, you decide what you can do about it. By cultivating jitta, you step back from the object, noticing how it's affecting you. Right? So you get close by stepping back. <laughs> you step back from the object, and you get close up to, oh, that's how the subject is being affected. Right? And trembling, dull, resistant, excited, whatever, joyful. So then you're working on that, so it's purification of that engagement with phenomena, of how stuff hits, tingles, strikes, slides. There's your focus. Hmm? So it's based upon disengagement, viveka. That's the first step. Yeah, so apamada, heedfulness, you acknowledge there is a step to be taken. Yeah. And we say, <laughs> sometimes we say it's just a pause, where you're about to get, you know, going on something, check, pause, lift, disengage, what's happening? Mm. Rushing, worrying, proliferating. Okay, stop. Just relax a bit, come into your body, take an out breath, feel the space around you, feel the ground beneath you. It's okay, everybody gets this, and you're doing this patiently. Viveka, um, disengaging, heedfulness, acknowledging there is that step to be made, and one should be. Uh, proficient of that, staying alert, staying tuned in, staying on your feet, rather than spinning out into your head. Mm. And compassionately, you know, this is not that subtle, is it? And yet, you just realise, even that, (laughs) the mind doesn't want to do it. <laughs> Rush off. Jump out. Oh, it's, it's a habit. We're learning to moderate through many, many ways. You know, through the way we behave, the way we speak, when we speak, how we do things, when we wait, when we pause, we find our time. You know, getting out of the running mania of the race. Ten seconds. Okay. Mm. 
not that difficult. And yet, you realize the tremendous push there is to, to not do that. This is Asawa, flood. Oga is the other word for it, Oga, which means a flood. They're synonymous. So it's flooding, welling up, pushing, driving experience that rushes on. Asawa of becoming, get on to the next thing. You know, there's a thing to get on to. So it generates this push. Get into something. Feeding on sense data. And ignorance. Don't pause for a moment. Keep going. Pausing is bad for you. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's it's unnecessary. It's ignoble. It's stupid. It's yeah. It's a waste of time. It should be prompt. It should be immediate. No. No. So I always like to, and I even suggest something, saying, well, suggest something, then in your own time, let me know how you think about that. Not immediately right now. I don't want immediate right now. On anything. <laughs> I want you to just, uh-huh. And then, yeah. the training, give each other that little bit of space. Yet we feel we should hurry up, be obedient, snap into things. No, no. No, we're obedient to the Dhamma. And it doesn't start until you get that reference to jitta and steadying yourself. And this can be pretty quick when you get used to it. Just even giving yourself those pause moments. Maybe so. Maybe so. Just, you know, getting, speeding up, rushing around in your head. Maybe so, maybe so, maybe so. Just take a break and lift. How does this look from, from, from a disengaged state? Example of the aerial photography. How when you're on the ground, all you don't, like in Hammerwood, all you see is the earth and the bracken and the heather. And then when you get in an airplane, go up 150 feet, you can see the outlines of an old fort. Oh yeah, I did. how could you not see it before? <laughs> you were too close, that's how come you didn't see it. You're into it, into the sense object. So we lift from the sense object and not averse lift, not don't want it, but just want to Sense how that's affecting the heart. And then the response is to come from the heart, from jitta, from awareness, rather than from just the reflex, you know, ricochet effect. We're bouncing around like billiard balls. But in that, you definitely wait for that five seconds. You don't move off onto something else. Just stay in place and Take it in and then... So mindfulness is holding that template. It's not 
you lift and then drift off somewhere else. <laughs> Space out or you know, stay awake in that. Really getting that as a way of of life. It doesn't have to be that long. Sometimes you're already in a a low, attuned state. And this is the basis of samadhi, based upon viveka. And the sense of when that's cultivated and you linger in that that step back state where you're actually sensing the heart, sensing your awareness, sensing your subject, if you like, where to put it, because it's not an object, it's coming back into yourself, you could say. Not the personality jumble, but something more primary. Primary. Awareness, you could say. Presence, you could say. And then you steady that. You can then, oh, this needs some steadying, breathing in, breathing out. Whatever your meditation theme is, that is that steadying effect. Steadying, refreshing. Then it's a quality of piti, refreshment. So it's bright. And then feeling your energy start to get more bright and then ease. Energy can be quite exciting, so we just ease. Just relax a little, rest in that. This naturally brings around a kind of consolidation of energy, because even the energy of happiness we're not getting proliferating around it or emotionally overcooking it, just always feels good. That's a feeling. And steadying. This is where we begin to cultivate more deeply this sense of non-clinging to feeling, perceptions, activations, form, consciousness, the aggregates. No, samadhi is, is associated with, with right samadhi is the support for wisdom and there's a bit of a thing because there's a whole school of thought which is so you get into this samadhi get into jhana get sort of into this hyper state and then total stillness but you can't have any, any wisdom from that. Because the mind can't move, it can't reflect. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine there's many things you could do with your mind, <laughs> and perhaps that's one of them. But it, when you look at what the Buddha said, he said, well, when my mind was bright and concentrated, I directed it towards the elimination of the asava. So, directed? How could it be directed if it can't move? Uh, it turns it 
away from the aggregates, saying, recognizing these aggregates are a bit stressful, turns away. This is sublime, this is peaceful. The stilling of activations, sankharas, relinquishment of acquisitions, destruction of claving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. Directed it. Even within cultivation of jhana, saying even if going through that, directed it. So you can direct from this, you can direct it to formless states, or you can direct it to the elimination of the asava. Seemingly there's some (laughs) ability to shift and move something. But if you're focusing on an object, you get hypnotized by that, clamping onto that, whatever affects, then perhaps you can't. But I don't see this is what the Buddha was talking about. It's so often reiterated. Standard formula, directing it towards the ending of the asava. Well, like, you know, when the energy is bright and steady, it's still, but it can see, it can realize. Just like if your hands are very still and steady, you can discern the movement of air brushing over them because they're not thrashing around, but they can notice that, right? And you can detect, say if you're touching something without moving your hands, you can detect different textures, warmth in it, the roughness, the smoothness of an object, without moving your hands, because the hands are sensitive. Similarly, without moving your chitta, your chitta is sensitive. So it can discern, oh, this is where the rough stuff starts, this is where the agitation begins, this is where it releases. You don't have to move it because it is sensitive. (laughs) So that sense of where is the ease in this, where is the release in this, oh, that, this is where it builds up, pressure builds up, the agitations begin at this place. They relinquished there. And these are called the aggregates. Mm. Turning away. Now, this may sound very remote. Mm. It's good to consider. Is there a development of concentration whereby one is in the world of form but not percipient of it? Development of concentration whereby one is in the world of form, but not percipient of it. And yet one is percipient, one's not numbed out. So yes, there is. So if you look in the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of the Tens, Suttas 6, 7, this particular teaching is given. Sounds remote, but it's really a teaching about the nature of perception. And as you know, you begin to get a sense of what's in that word, perception. Something is grouped together that reminds you of that. Something is brought together. You know, what do I mean? 
one sense, obvious sense. We see somebody wearing a shirt or a hat called blue. So it refers to the category of blue. That particular sense of data is focused on and we associate it with blue. This is a very obvious one. You take something like a cloud. Look in the cloud, oh, it looks like a... Reminds me of a scoop of ice cream. <laughs> right? What happens? It reminds me of a scoop of ice cream, that cloud. Or it reminds me of a, of a back of a sheep, fluffy and woolly. Or it looks like a grey slab to me. Right? That hit. And then the, the movement of delight or gloom or agitation that occurs with that. Something is seen, measured, the impression of it touches the heart and some kind of mood arises. Hmm. Would it be possible to see something without that inner movement? Hmm. Perhaps not world of sense when we're in that. But in the world of Bhavana, the inner world, we're just contemplating what arises in the heart. Is it possible to experience subtle qualities of feeling, impression, without labelling, clinging and agitating around them? The most obvious perceptions would be, of course, memories. Hmm? So we might practice with that, the memories, or, of course, the plans, they're time-bound. So often the perception in the mind is to do with establishing the familiar norms. Oh, this is Thursday, that's Christmas, this is a year ago, she's this, he's going to be that, I should be this. It's establishing these entities, aren't they, that we can then orient around. But when you contemplate in your bhavana, that entity, that's called something that's become. It's been, this is what becoming is about, it creates fixed things, right? So having created Christmas, I can think about where I'm going to go, who I'm going to send a Christmas card to, or whether I like it or don't like it, whether you can meet people or not, all this movement starts going. And what are we talking about? Perception arose, it was clung to, becoming, it became solid. Having become solid, there's a sense of me responding to that, getting stirred by it. <laughs> Energy stopped moving around. I, perhaps I can remember wonderful Christmases I had or how fed up I am with having to go through this same old ritual every year. <laughs> so you get some emotional movement around it. <laughs> right? And this is a pretty neutral one compared with some things that are going to occur. <laughs> yeah? And like, what we've created, completely fabricated, created perception, activations, sankharas, things get formed into formations.
we created a form, there's adherence to that form, there's rejoicing in it, there's aversion to it, there's worry about it, the whole stirring up of turbulence. Hmm? So perception, is it possible for that perception to arise, just be seen as, oh that's a perception, that's an impression, not moved, not shaken, not averse, not defending, not complaining, not judging, not justifying, not proliferating. <laughs> Perceptions arisen. Mm. Mm. So when they asked uh, Sariputta when he was talking about this particular realization, he said, Well, what did happen when you're in that state of samadhi? He says, Well, what happened was these little perceptions arose like sparks from a fire. The perception was Nibbana is the end of becoming, end of forming things, just that realization that ah, you have to form a present, a past, a future, a person, an entity, a self, <laughs> a good, a bad. Don't have to form yeah. non proliferation. That's that's a state of mind is still gathered together, still steadied, not leaking, not running out, not running around. Hmm? So for functioning consciousness in the world in general, we need these orientation points, don't we? Names, addresses, times, places. Yeah. But what's significant is how these names, addresses, times and places can stir us up. Become more than just orientation points, we become obsession points, fixation points. And then all proliferations occur, flood, worry, rehearsing old stories again and again. There's this kind of asava of ignorance because it's almost like something's pushing in to keep the becoming going. So you're not becoming anything much in the present. So let's dig up the past and become something in terms of what I was or old memories start spewing up. It's an instinct, this becoming. It's a reflex. That's why you need that sense of effort, sustained, deliberate application of energy to check and stabilize so we, and feel satisfied. Why samadhi is a satisfying steadiness. Mm. And it's measured in different kinds of, it's also a heartful impression. Yeah, so it's not a focus on getting an accurate reading of something because it's measured, first one's measured in terms of rapture and ease. <laughs> first two, then just ease, then equanimity. 
these heartful tones are there hmm? because that's where what you're dealing with not your thinking object focusing mind but the sensitivity of awareness we call that sensitivity we call it heart want of a better word and it doesn't get dry bleak and feels comfortable hmm? So there isn't that desperation to find something stimulating to think about. And it's steady, so it's not the need to go into the past or the future to dig things up to get playing with. So this definitely you know, clears. So we're able to review the fundamental qualities of how things arise. Perception, the triggering, the trembling. Is it possible to experience the movement of perception that sustain an impression without sustaining it? This acts as the beginning of the process of consciousness. Consciousness, in this sense, locates, is the locator. It locates us. If we're located in the visual field, we find ourselves oriented around, oh, I'm in West Sussex, I'm in Chittas, I'm in the Dumb Hall. That's visual consciousness. Of course, mental consciousness always chips in with its perceptions. Oh, this means that cessation of consciousness doesn't mean you've died. It means it's, it's, the mental consciousness is no longer doing that. It's no longer labelling, I am in this. It's just seeing, hearing, touching, So that sense of being located in the sense feels is a problem. Once you're in there, then your mind, is, heart is naturally affected by the perceptions that arise around that. And you notice whenever you stay anywhere, like many of us have been here in this particular <laughs> situation for many months now, a year and a half or so. Mm. Every day looks like I'm a Chittaviveku. <laughs> it's not a bad place to be at all. But then, is it true? To what extent is it true? Mm. Or isn't it more often the case I'm in excitement, agitation, thought realms? I'm located within where my consciousness takes its foundation. Now if it doesn't take a foundation on locating, it's called cessation of consciousness. It's just open. 
And really, isn't that more the truth of the matter? It sounds kind of weird and and uh, non-functional, but actually, isn't that the truth of the matter? That you know, the visual appearance happens. It's not like a constant. You know, you're walking around the hall. Oh, I'm in the Dhamma hall, right? It's not. These locations happen to you. Isn't that the case? You know, you walk past the tree and you get the fragrance of the fruit pops in. And there you are in that for a moment. And then it changes to something else. The fact that the what we pick up is shifting through the sense spheres doesn't it indicate we're actually not in them, but they come into us. Right? And it's the mind that keeps stitching it all together. So here I am walking around in Jitavivaka and there's the smell of the apples and the sound of the birds and there's the feeling of the wind. It's all mingled together. But actually, what's happening is it's a sign, a sound, a touch, pops in, is remembered, triggers something, and we build this solid perception, builds up. Right? But if you take any one of them, the smell of the apple tree is not Jitavivaka, the wind is not Jitavivaka, the sight is not Jitavivaka, where's that? And where are you? So one of those kind of meditative questions that are used sometimes with, in teaching is, where are you? Where's the I? Is it the scene? No. If it was just the seer, what happens when your eyes close? The eye is still there. If it's the hearer, what happens when there's silence? <laughs> the subject is still here. What happens when it gets on a train? The subject is still here. Nothing moving. Right? Sight, sounds... Locations of consciousness change all the time. Why we can notice them change is because essentially we're the stillness. But you can't detect it because it's the subject. You know? So you're looking for it, but you can't find it. Because it's not out there, it's back here. And so that's realized through an increasing sense of balance, dispassion towards objects, perceptions. And perceptions are really the, the moment when something goes in. Right? Which is seen, oh, that's Gladys. Dong. Oh, that's Venerable So and so. Busy. By itself, natural feature of our life. We couldn't operate without that. But when we sit quietly, do we need to do that? So when is it just habitual and when is it necessary? When is it coming from some kind of instinct creating a world? When is it actually suitable 
Or is it coming from this reflex instinct of becoming, creating a world that I could organise and get sorted out and get comfortable in? But it never gets sorted out and it never gets that comfortable. Where encouragement is turning away. It doesn't mean turning away in terms of blinding oneself, but it's like a like one loses one's interest. You might say, um, you know, it's it's a figure of speech, as a withdrawal of passion, engagement. And this actually makes our lives more comfortable <laughs> because you can still from that place of solidity and strength you can still operate but the heart isn't lurching over into it driving forward mm. this turning is a turning of wisdom discernment returning to the source in any given moment where am I? this is sublime this is peaceful the cool calming of activations relinquishment of acquisitions habits destruction of craving dispassion ceasing nibbana this is once again this is not about elimination of sense data or life in the world it's about cleaning the slate of your own heart so you can function more coolly, calmly, clearly when you're dealing with phenomena and you can also withdraw and drop it when you don't need it. And so this way the Eightfold Path is not broken into where you can be in the world, you could be, <laughs> you know, you don't leave. In some way you just come to the right place within all that where one can cultivate right livelihood rather than be you know strung out in it right effort without straining and without drifting the effort to steady, firm up know what can be firmed up and steadied and how? So this is where all the conventions arise from. The skillful conventions arise from this. Once we understand how perceptions activate us, how those activations flood us, how the flooding becomes a person, percursively trapped in a world, thrashing around, trying to find a way out.
Hmm? How all that happens, triggered by perceptions, impressions. So as we practice, come to direct practice, this day just you having spent some time in our lives, but certainly much more supported, mutually supported by our mutual adherence to a resolution and to these forms of practice. You know, really begin to review how process, how existence happens, how this becoming into be happens and how it can be softened, stepped back from and released.